Welcome back, I'm Brian Metzger and this is Inscription. Whether you feel far from God and you wanna change that or you already have a relationship with God and you just wanna go deeper, this is the place for you. Brothers and sisters, today we're preparing the readings for Sunday, August 15th, and it happens to be a solemnity. It's the solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So this is an incredibly, uh, an incredibly high feast. An incredible this this feast puts so much mysticism back on the table. Things that could, we could be uncomfortable with and be like, is this really for us? This feast says like we need to talk about this stuff. We there's there's no such thing as living the gospel and as, as pursuing a radical life with Jesus without having an openness to this to the mystical and and this this solemnity definitely puts this center stage and so I can't wait to get to those readings but before we do that we want to take a look at the Hebraic calendar and the reason we look at the Hebraic calendar is because the Hebraic calendar that's the calendar of the Bible and God created it in the book of Genesis and he refreshed and restored it in the book of uh, in the book of Exodus and so it's a, it's a privileged way to access the oral tradition around the Torah. So the Bible comes to us in a context, and here's a closer look at that context. We are beginning a brand new month. So we started to speak about it at the end of the last month, the month of Elul, and this last week that we just finished was actually the first week in the month of Elul. And Elul, I want to hit three things about Elul to, to launch us. I want to hit the name, the number, and the letter for the month of Elul. So the name of Elul, it comes from the word for harvest. But if you do a little deeper dive on harvest, it has to do with searching. Like when you go through a field, you're searching for your, your what are you looking for? You want to separate the wheat and the chaff. And one of the things that's beautiful about that is at the end of the day, when the, when you separate the wheat and the chaff, the only thing, the only one who can make that call is the master himself. Now, one of the things that they'll say about the the month of Elul is that the king is in the field. Okay, well, what does that mean? 11 months out of the year, there are times that are separated for times in the palace where you're doing holy things with God in holy places. And then, or you're doing mundane things in the world, taking care of regular life, preparing to be in the palace. So you have this tension between the palace and the field, or between the holy and the sacred, and the mundane and the ordinary. Well, this month is an exception. How is it an exception? Because the king from the palace, who's the one who makes the palace palatial, the king comes out and he's with us in the field. So the king is in the field, now he's not just in he's not just in the field to be with us and work with us. He's in the field as the bridegroom king inviting us to another level of intimacy with him, of easy intimacy with God in the midst of our everyday tasks. And so one of the they'll take the the month of Elul, E L U L, and it becomes an anacronym for the Song of Songs, which is, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. So it's a beautiful month filled with love. It's actually the final month in the physical calendar. And so we're getting ready to go into the, the month of Tishrei and the Rosh Hashanah, the head of the new year, the Feast of Yom Kippur. So some really awesome events coming up, but they begin right now in the month of Elul. Now, according to the spiritual calendar, the number for the month is the number six. And so this goes back to from from the time of Passover when Israel was rescued from 
when Israel was rescued from Egypt. And you may remember, you have 50 days, that's Pentecost, from leaving Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, coming to Mount Sinai, receiving the gift of the Torah. That all happens within 50 days. And then in the midst of that, Moses has three 40-day fasts in a row. And we'll talk about his 40-day fast in just a minute. But that brings us, if you take 50 plus 40, 40, 40, so that's 120. If you take 50, you get the, the final number you get, it comes to six months. So that's where we are right now in this in this as in this final in this final stage to come to the the first six months of the spiritual calendar. Now there's a mystical meaning for six as well. The the letter that goes with the number six is Vav, which is the upright man who knows the secret of the descending light. And this is perfect because one of the places where we access the mystery of the descending light is at that Mount Mount Sinai. So 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 the the name of the month is Elul. The number of the month is six. It reminds us of the upright man. The letter of the month is Yud. Now Yud is. Uh, it's one of the most powerful letters. It's actually the smallest letter. It's the only letter that hovers above the line. And so it's just, it's also the first letter in the name yud heh vav -Hey, but it's referred to as that, that it's referred to as the finite point that contains the infinite. So it's a very mystical letter. In the name yud heh vav -Hey, the the cusp of the Yud, that means just the little edge of the small, the smallest part of the smallest letter represents the brightness of the crown of the king. So it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the realm. It's the spiritual realm of Keter. It's the, it's the light above the descending chain. So it's very, very high and lofty letter, very high and very near to the very throne of God, so that you can be engulfed in, that you can be surrounded by the brightness of the crown of the king. So. The, the name is Elul, the number is six, it comes from the spiritual calendar, the sixth month in the spiritual calendar, the letter is Yud. The next part we're going to look at is are the tribe and the sense, and you might remember that the spiritual sense of the month always comes from the tribe. And so the tribe for this month is the month of Gad. Gad, they are expert warriors, and so they live in their domain like a lion. And one of the things they say about the tribe of Gad, this, the spiritual sense of the month is change. Well, change is something that warriors, an expert warrior, has to be ready to change his approach, change his approach, change his approach. Well, what does that mean for us is in our life, this is an opportunity for change, for transformation, to take a look, to take stock at what's working, what's not working, do less of what's not working and more of what is working. And we do this not by power, not by might. It's not about willpower. It's about a will that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. God wants to make resources available to us for us to experience new levels of transformation. It's this change where we hear the expression mazel tov, which is an expression that's used at Jewish weddings. And in one way, it can simply be translated as good luck, but that's not quite a deep enough understanding to really appreciate it. Mazel is the is this divine spark, which is the word luck, but it's this blessing that's that's hidden within us, that's concealed within us. Tov means good, and so the good luck, it's it's be more precise to say 
I want to tov, I want to bless that divine spark so that it become manifest in you. And this is one of the places where God provides angels to speak, to hover over us and to say grow. And what as they say grow, you know, change, transform, rise up. Like Jesus says to the, when he raises the little girl from the dead, he says, Talitha kum, little girl arise. There's angels hovering, there's angel wings hovering and you can almost, if, and the, the more you believe, the more you'll see the spark, the more you agree with the hovering angels to say grow, the more you'll receive that gift of the Holy Spirit to raise you up, to stir you up into a flame, into a fire, into a person of transformation. So that's the tribe gad and the spiritual sense change. Now we get to take a look at the festival or the memorial that that penetrates and permeates the entirety of the month. So the first of Elul represents the beginning of the third 40-day fast in a row. Who is this guy, Moses? He goes up Mount Sinai to commune with the Lord. The first time he goes up, 40 days without food, comes right back down and has the experience, with the, with, the, with the tablets of the law, has the experience of the golden calf, goes back up, fast the second 40-day fast. This time he's saying, uh, he's, he's repenting on behalf of the nation for the sin of the golden calf. And then the Lord tells him, go back down and bring up some fresh tablets and I'll write you a new set. I hear your prayer for repentance. I've got something new for you, but but to to get it, you got to come up and do a third fast for 40 days. So 40 and 40 is 80, 80 and 40 is 120. Just checking my math there. So Moses does a total of 120 days, three 40-day consecutive fasts. And this third time he goes up, he's going up with the tablets and the Lord is re- Newing his covenant marriage with Israel by writing a new set of laws. So this this is the and it's it's during this final, this third 40-day fast while Moses is up there, that Moses has the experience. He says, Lord, show me your face. He says, nobody can see my face, but I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. And as I'm in the cleft, if you're in the cleft of the rock, I will pass by and I will let you see my glory. And so Moses, while he's in the rock, and then the Lord utters this word, and this is this is this is where we get the 13 attributes of God's divine mercy from Exodus chapter 34, verse 7. And it begins, I'll read the beginning of it just so you can, you can go and check it out more yourself. But it says, And then he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And then you can go on and you can read more about that. But this happens in the month of the Lul. So this mystery, this energy, this secret, this treasure is available to us for us to have a new experience of God, of these 13 attributes of God's mercy. And this is what, remember, why is Moses, you know, why did, why did Moses go? <laughs> so, so the first time he goes for his 40 day fast is to receive the Torah. The second time is to repent for the sin of the golden calf. The third time it's for that, it's for that renewal. So this for this, the, the 30 days of Elul, go then into the first 10 days of Tishrei, which is, that's the beginning of Rosh Hashanah. There's 10 days from Rosh Hashanah to, to Yom Kippur, the high holy feast of atonement. But all of that is about what? It's about God's mercy and these 13 attributes of God's mercy. And so here we just see, we see an aspect of the heart of God 
that's so critical for us to say, stay closely connected with. In fact, you might remember the stories about the mountain, the, the rock that followed Israel in the desert and water would come forth from the rock. Well, the legends tell us that the water would come forth from the rock when Israel would dance around the rock and sing about the 13 attributes of God's mercy. It would cause water to come forth from the rock. So in my Catholic tradition, we have a, also a great devotion to the divine mercy and many much of this content very beautifully and in complementary ways enrich one another. All right, so finally, the constellation for this month. And so what do we remember about the heavens? Remember that, that God's the one who created the calendar and he created it in the stars and with the stars and that the, the heavens declare the glory of God and in the stars we see the gospel on circuit above our heads. Well, the constellation for this month is the constellation of Virgo. One of the reasons that's so exciting for this Sunday is because it's the, the feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So Virgo means Virgo. Virgin, and so we celebrate the Virgin. One of the places where we see the Virgin in the book of Revelation is chapter 12. It's actually the reading for Sunday morning, so we're going to be getting to that reading in just a moment. How does it describe the Virgin in, in the book of Revelation chapter 12? It says, a woman clothed in the sun, standing on the moon, crowned with 12 stars. Those 12, tar 12 stars, guess what? You guessed it. They stand for the 12 constellations that mark the divine calendar that God created on the fourth day. You can go check it out. It's the Genesis calendar. But we see it all come together in one and harmonize beautifully around the Virgin. What's beautiful is, is it's clear the connection between the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Virgin in, in the book of Revelation. That part is clear. There's also beautiful connections with the Ark of the Covenant. You can hear that if you do the readings for the vigil. But it's also fascinating to me that in church tradition, if you go back to the, the 12th century with saints like Bonaventure, St. Bonaventure the Franciscan, that description of the woman clothed in the sun, standing on the moon, surrounded by 12 stars, that was an image not just of the Blessed Virgin Mary, but of every believer. This is what all of us are called to. God has created these spiritual garments for us. This, what does it mean to be clothed in the sun? This garment of fire. What does it mean to be standing on the moon? This moon which represents all those, those changes. Remember, the, moon is, the sun is constant. The moon is always changing. But both those get harmonized by the power of God in our lives. And then those 12 stars represent the whole cosmos which, which, which groans in agony for the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. Why? Because they want to worship our God and they're waiting for our hearts and our voice and our heart to be inflamed and our tongues to be loosened to let that worship rise up. And so Virgo represents the innocence, the, the innocent man, the innocent woman, the restoration of the Garden of Eden. So such a powerful constellation for such a powerful month, for such a powerful culmination as we prepare for Rosh Hashanah at the beginning of the, of the next month. All right, brothers and sisters, so that's a whack at that. Now we'll go into the readings for the day. And there's two sets of readings. There's the reading for the vigils, and then there's the reading for the morning. I'm going to do the readings for the morning. And here we start with the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 19, into 12, and then on to 1210. So open your Bibles, open your Bible apps. And it's so powerful to be able to follow along with the Word of God 
if you follow while you're reading, that you'll be able to see more clearly how what I'm saying, what, what verses I'm jumping off from. So you'll be able to separate between what's actually in the text and then what's the oral tradition and what's the inspired teaching on it. Okay, so here we go. Book of Revelation. We're, we're at the end of chapter 11. It says, God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant could be seen there in the temple. Now, this is something when John wrote this and people heard this, the ark of the covenant had been missing for a generation. And so when they heard this, they would have been the ark of the God, the ark of the covenant was everything to them. It was God's throne amongst them. The ark of the covenant meant the world to them, not just the world. It meant heaven to them. It meant God. It meant the marriage between heaven and earth to them. The ark of the covenant was everything. And so when John says, "and and God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of the covenant could be seen in the temple, the glory of the Lord is being returned," he would have had. Binding impact on the hearts of all of its listeners. Where? Show us. And then you know what happened? Chapter 11 ends, and it's like, well, what then? This is cliffhanger of, there's never been a cliffhanger like this cliffhanger. Well, except if you understand that the chapter breaks in the book of Revelation, in the Bible, throughout the Bible, the chapter breaks are put in by later editors. And so 11 goes right into 12, which is what we do here. So, so what's the Ark of the Covenant? A great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed in the sun with the moon under her feet and, a head, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was with child and wailed aloud in pain as she labored to give birth. Then another sign appeared in the sky. It was a huge red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven diadems. Its tail swept a third of the stars from the sky and hurled them to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman about to give birth to devour her child when when she gave birth. She gave birth to a son, a male child, destined to rule the nations with an iron rod. So this is a reference to the Messiah. This is a reference to Jesus. That's how we know that it's appropriate to understand the woman clothed in the sun as the Blessed Virgin Mary and why it's being read on her feast day. Her child was caught up to God and his throne. The woman herself fled into the desert and she had a place prepared by God. Then I heard a loud cry, a loud voice in heaven say, Now have salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his anointed one. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So one of the things that can be helpful when we're reading the book of Revelation is I always say it's necessary to camp out in the book of Revelation chapter 4 and 5 until we're comfortable camping in chapter four and chapter five. Why is it so important to hang out there? Because that is the throne room revelation of all throne room revelations. There's beautiful throne room revelations in the Old Testament. One of them is in in Isaiah six. Isaiah is taken up into the heavenly throne. The other one's in the beginning of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, the the heavenly throne room comes down to Ezekiel. So there's beautiful throne room revelations. Daniel has some incredible throne room revelations in it in the Old Testament. But none of them amounts to Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. So that is the, the place to camp 
and then to understand every other throne room revelation from Revelation 4 and 5. But until we learn how to have a locked-in gaze with the one seated on the throne, until we learn how to remain in the realm of the spirit, in the higher man rather than the lower man, until we learn how to do that, we're not ready to interpret the rest of the book of Revelation. Because what's going to happen is you're going to have the same story told from two perspectives. One's from a heavenly perspective where everything is throne room worship. The other is from a lower perspective or an earthly perspective where everything is spiritual warfare. So here's where we need to, when we look at it as spiritual warfare, which is real, which is what we hear as soon as you hear about the worship in heaven with the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat of God, the throne of God, then you hear about the dragon. And so this is that tension. So what we need to learn to do as believers, as not just citizens of the kingdom, but of participants in heavenly government, is to stay in that heavenly realm. That's where we're the most effective. That's where joy conquers the, the hearts of the hardened, and more and more people can be saved and come into the presence of Jesus. And no, no, one's, no one's a greater warrior for that than the bride herself, the Blessed Virgin Mary, showing us what a perfect act of redemption. Jesus, who's a perfect redeemer, who's made a perfect act of redemption. What does that look like when it gets applied to and actualized in our lives? All right, now we'll move on to the psalm. It's Psalm 45. Psalm 45, incredible psalm. We're only going to get a few excerpts from the psalm here for this Mass. I recommend go open your Bibles and read the whole of Psalm 45. It is a heavenly ecstasy of a heavenly of a heavenly wedding song. And this is where David starts off but saying, my heart is stirred and my tongue is loosened like the pen of a scribe. And here it comes, just this beautiful poem of, of poetry and of, of rapture and of ecstasy and of heaven and earth becoming one and about the bride. And so the refrain is, the queen stands at your right hand arrayed in gold. And here comes just a few fragmented lines. Uh, verse 10, the, the queen takes her place at your right hand in the gold of Ophir. So such a mystery to be opened up, that timelessness of gold. Here, and, and, and the, the highest and most precious of metals that can needs to be forged in fire. Brothers and sisters, you and I are gold. We should not be surprised when the Lord tests us by fire. This is part of the process by which gold becomes pure gold and by which the pure gold becomes the purest gold. Hear, daughter, and see, turn your ear Forget your people and your father's house. This is about that transition. We need to forget about the way things were so that we can experience the way things can be. But what we'll find is what we lose here is going to be given back to us in an entirely new form in the heavenly realm. So the realm of the spirit, the new heaven, the new earth, the new man, the new woman, as we as we walk in it, there's simultaneously going to be something that's profoundly familiar. It's going to be the fulfillment of everything that we've ever loved about this world, but also radically new. And that's going to come together. We can't do it by trying harder. It's what God's going to do for us. This is why we let go of the way things were so that we can be taken up into the way that things can be. The next verse says, uh, So shall the king desire your beauty, for he is your Lord. This is the most amazing principle that God in all of his beauty, 
His desire is to clothe us in beauty. And he actually, he has created such beauty within us and such beauty to clothe us with that he in his infinite, eternal, and ever greater, endless love that he has, he actually falls in love with us. He, God, the God, the God who created heaven and earth is raptured and moved and in love with us. Brothers and sisters, this is a transformation that I want to see in my own life personally, but I also want to see in family, in community, in church, in the whole earth. Think about the joy that flows from being found desired by a God who is infinitely beautiful and infinitely good and infinitely powerful. This is night and day difference. This is night and day difference of living. And here it goes, the, the last one, here's the joy again. They are born in with gladness and joy. They enter the palace of the king. And remember, we're in the month of Elul, where the palace and the field become one, where the heavenly and the earthly become one. The palace of the king is real. The rabbis would say that in the center of the Garden of Eden, there's a pure white marble palace. And in that pure white marble palace, there are living waters that well up. And it says, no longer say water, waters, for now the waters have become one. The water above, which is the Shamaim of heaven, and the water below, which is the Mime of earth, have become one. So this is where it happens. It happens in a marriage. It happens in a palace where there's a kingdom, there's a king, where there's a king, there's a throne. Where there's a throne, there's a palace. I want to go home. <laughs> but what if that's right here, right now? It's not just for, it's not just for one day then. It's for right here, right now. We need this. And I also just want to encourage you with all the disruptions and destabilizations that are happening in the world right now. Keep your eye focused because those types of disruptions have consistently been present when God has ushered in a new era, when a new age has emerged within the church. So pay attention. New experiences of God are coming. All right, so now we move to our next reading. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I absolutely love 1 Corinthians chapter 15. One of the verses the Lord put on my heart, um, it must be about 10 years ago now, was about the, the first Adam and the second Adam, that the first Adam was a living being, but the second Adam becomes a life-giving spirit. And so this journey between being a living being, this is a reference to the book of Genesis where God breathed into Adam, into his nostrils, and he became a living being. Now that Adam there is a reference to humanity, so that's men in and women. That's, that's all of God's children. God breathes into us and become a living being. That's awesome. That's sharing in the life of the divine. That's sharing in the divine nature. But that's just the beginning. Because then Jesus, the new Adam, breathes out on the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And God wants to bring us on that journey, not just to receive his heavenly breath, but to become with him bearers, not just bearers of, but uh, bestowers of the spiritual realm to others. This is our assignment. This is our beauty. This is our destiny. This is our joy. So, in this 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's the essence of this chapter 15, although that verse isn't here, but keep that transition in mind 
from the old man to the new man, from the first Adam to the second Adam, from the from the life giving from the from the living being to the life giving spirit. So first Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse twelve. Christ has been brothers and sisters, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through man, the resurrection of the dead came also through man. For just as in Adam all die, so too in Christ all shall be brought to life. So there you see that tension. The living being who, because of his fall, dies and brings death, now we have Christ, who is a life-giving spirit, who brings life to all. But each one in proper order. So there's going to be, there's a sequence to this. There's, it's it, the Christ, the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom of God to, and the kingdom to his God and Father. So Jesus is going to hand over the kingdom to his Father, who is his God. Once he has destroyed every authority and power, for he must reign until he's put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he subjected everything under his feet. And so, so Christ puts death, and remember, death is the wages of sin. One of the reasons that we honor the Blessed Mothers, yes, because she's the mother of Jesus, she's the mother of God, but because Jesus is a perfect redeemer who has performed a perfect, a, a perfect act of redemption, and the Blessed Mother represents a perfect application of that perfect redemption, so she was rescued from death, which means, which is why she ascended into heaven. She was never tainted by or touched by death. Now, what God is putting on display in Christ is what he's making available to us. And now what he's showing us in Mary is that, yes, this is really for you. And so each of you now are invited to come up into higher realms, into deeper levels of the mystery. And this is why I say, with this feast, there's an undeniable mystical dimension to gospel 101 living. If this is a lifestyle, this can't just be a stained glass window or a statue or a plastic holy card. That's just an idea. We need to find this in our experience. And brothers and sisters, I promise you, when you have the eyes to see, you'll see that this doesn't just happen every now and again, every once in a while, or it's not just for the super saints. This is happening all day, every day. And we can begin by just dialing into the simplest miracles, like that my heart continues to beat, that my lungs continue to breathe, that my brain waves continue to fire and wire and keep me alive. God, I am being surrounded by a whirlwind, a whirlwind of miracles, a whirlwind, and there's a frequency of that that's elevating me and that's lifting me up and bringing me into your presence, into a, and, and this is, it, it matters not 
whether it's the heavenly throne room come down or it's the earthy come up, or the, or, or the earthy come up, there's a marriage of the two. Descending and ascending are, are joined together. That's the whole point. Heaven finds earth irresistible and earth finds heaven irresistible. This is what we're looking for. Now, Israel would teach us, the rabbis would teach us that Jerusalem, the M on the end of that, is actually plural. There's an earthly and there's a heavenly Jerusalem. And that the more the earthly Jerusalem keeps her eyes fixed upon the heavenly Jerusalem, the more the two become one. So this is critical for us in times of destabilization where there's so much fear and so much trouble in the world. We need to keep our eyes fixed on, on not on what God's not doing. God, I wish you, if I was God, I would do this different, I'd do that different. If you keep focusing on that, your pain and your suffering is going to increase. Focus on what God is doing. Have eyes that see and ears that hear. Miracles abound. The more miracles you see, the more miracles you will see. The more you believe, the more you'll see the spark, the divine spark hidden within you. The more you agree with that prayer and ministry of the angels, the more you will be taken up into this. And you will have your own stories. And you will see that the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary isn't just something for her then. It's something for us right now. All right, so now we come to our final reading. It's our gospel. It's the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 39. And this is the great song of the Blessed Mother. Um, it's, this is her Magnificat that we're going to read. And it just it reminds me of King David. I was, I was telling you in the beginning of Psalm 45, he talks about, my heart is stirred and my tongue is loosened like a pen of a scribe. He goes into the state of an oracle, of an ecstasy, and then people start writing down the, the Psalms are David in an ecstatic state. And then and then scribes are writing down what he's saying. So that's what's happening here to the Blessed Mother. She is the first of the, she she is, yeah, she is a forerunner in the reestablishing of David's tent, which was a promise of the Messianic era that the tent of David would be restored, which is why Psalms are so important to every liturgy, because 1000 BC, David accessed the fruit of a future age and, and created kingdom around the worship of God's presence. And this is what's happening in the earth right now. This new era, this new time that's emerging in the church, we're going to see an understanding of what has been in the patrimony all along, that this is David's tent, and Mary is modeling for us what does Davidic worship look like, you know, gathered around the Ark of, Ark of the Covenant in the, in the meeting tent where David hired worshipers to play loudly with all their skill 24-7, a culture of worship, a kingdom of worship, a lifestyle of worship, living in the throne room of God, not just visiting every now and again, but remaining there, abiding there. This is that Sabbath day, seventh day rest that's for every moment of every day. And so here, here's Mary. She sets out and she traveled in the hill country. First of all, if you do a parallel reading of the Ark of the Covenant being brought into Jerusalem by David, you'll see that there's an intentional 
pattern that Luke is adopting here to show that Mary is the new Ark of the Covenant and she's carrying within her, remember the old Ark of the Covenant carried the, the Torah or the eternal word of God. Mary is the living Ark of the Covenant carrying the living word of God, Jesus. The, uh, and so Mary set out and traveled the hill country, just like David went to the hill country to bring in the Ark of the Covenant. Mary set out and traveled the hill country in haste to a town of Judah where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leapt in her womb. So this leaping and this dancing is part of this prophetic worship. And we, at different times, we've looked at the seven Hebrew words for praise. One of them is Hallel, where we get the word Hallelujah. And Hallel is this leaping and dancing with abandon, making a fool out of oneself because you're overwhelmed by the majesty of God. And so John the Baptist in the womb of his mother Elizabeth is leaping because Mary's presence as the Ark of the Covenant carrying the eternal word is ushering in the restoration of David's tabernacle, of David's tent. So, the infant leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Here's where we get the words from the Hail Mary, the, Hail, the, 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 the praying of the rosary and the recitation, the repetition and the recitation of the, of, the, of the rosary. This is simply a biblical meditation on this moment of the restoration of the tent of David. And even if you look at the Hail Mary, in, or the, the Rosary in its original, uh, before the Luminous Mysteries were added by John Paul II, so for a significant portion of history, how many Hail Marys would you pray? 150. If you, there, There's five decades, so that's 50, but then there were three sets of mysteries, so three times 50 becomes 150. Well, how many psalms are there? There's 150 psalms. So while the monks were in the monastery praying the psalms, the actual prayers of the Davidic tent, the people who were often illiterate, they were taught one line or two lines of scripture to memorize and repeat as a way of participating in the day and night worship of the monks. The people in the fields and in the homes could do the same thing. That's what the rosary is. It's the restoration of David's tent. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leapt for joy. When you look at the book of Revelation, the end of chapter 3 into chapter 4, which sets up that throne room encounter that I was talking about, the throne room encounter says, And then I heard a voice, and it sounded like a trumpet, and immediately I was taken up into a heavenly realm. So here's where we see that happening right here, uh, where, where Mary's greeting hits Elizabeth's ears, and then her child in her womb is taken up into a heavenly realm. This is what I'm talking about. This type of mystical experience is is happening. It's not just for them then, it's for us now. You and I, even as we hear this message, we're being taken through mystical and spiritual doors into new realms in the spirit being shown, new mysteries about God, and our hearts are being quickened, and our tongues are being loosened, and this is what it means to be fully human and fully alive. This is what it means to be a fire-breathing evangelist. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
the infinite le the infant leapt in my womb. Blessed are you who, who believed what was spoken to you by the Lord to be fulfilled. Now, watch this. The Mary's words ignite an ecstasy in Elizabeth. Elizabeth goes prophetic. The baby in her womb goes prophetic. The baby's prophecy in Elizabeth's womb comes out in Elizabeth's prophecy. Those words then go back into Mary. Mary hits it and she goes into the prophetic. This is what it's like when the the whole cosmos is shocked straight through with the Holy Spirit, like that moment of resurrection, boom, where the, where the dead body of Jesus shocked through with the Holy Spirit comes with 10,000 volts like lightning and leaves the image of the crucified Christ on the shroud of Turin as a proclamation of the resurrection. This is what our worship is supposed to be. Come on, let's do this. And here's what Mary's song comes out. She says, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That word for rejoice, guess what? It means leap. My spirit leaps in, in, in God. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Remember that word Savior, as Mary was praying this in, in Aramaic, would have been my Jesus. Yeshua means my Savior. So my spirit rejoices in my Savior. My spirit rejoices in my Son, Jesus. My spirit rejoices in my Savior, for he's looked with favor on his lowly servant. This is that lifestyle of living in the throne room with the locked-in gaze, with the one on the throne. With, with, the, with, with the one on the throne. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. yod heh vav -He, holy is his name. Jesus, yod heh vav -He, saves. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. This is an upside-down kingdom. He's flipping everything around. This is an entirely new heavens, an entirely new earth, an entirely new creation. He has come to the, he has come to the help of his servant Israel. So our love for Israel... He's come to the help of his servant Israel. This is what the gospel is. This is what Christianity is. This is Jesus coming to the help of his servant Israel. Remember, Israel means those who wrestle with God, but not just wrestle, those who lay hold of, those who are devout, those who apprehend God, those who behold God. He has come to the help of his servant Israel. He's going to help us to enter into these places of new experiences and new raptures and new ecstasies and new levels of the Spirit. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered the promise of mercy. Remember that word mercy, misericordia, in the Latin, in the Hebrew, in the Greek, and in the Latin, and all three, it's a reference to the womb. This is that spiritual rebirth. This is what Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless you're born again of water and the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom. So we hear by the words of the King himself that each one of us are expected to be able to see the kingdom. How do we do it? It's by that experience of being born again. Go beneath the waters, come back up from them. He's come to the help of his servant Israel, for he's remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. So Abraham, the central figure of the book of Genesis, 
This is where the story begins. This is why the Torah is so important. If we don't understand the story of the Torah, then we don't understand what's happening with the coming of the Messiah. And so we need to humble ourselves and love love our Jewish fathers and mothers. Be proud of the rabbis that have taught and are teaching us. And even, you know, as an example, that one of the earliest fathers of the church, St. Jerome, we actually have the names of his rabbis, the names of the rabbis that he studied under. This is something that we should love, the, the Hebraic, the Old Testament and the, the Hebraic scriptures, and learn to think like a Hebrew, as well as learn the New Testament and the, and the Greek, and learn to think like a Greek, as well as the early church and the Latin fathers, learn to think, like, learn to think with, with Latin. Each one of them, it's not an accident, all three of these languages were on Jesus' cross. The, this, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, was written in Hebrew, in Greek, and Latin. So there's a biblical example that these three languages, these three cultures, these three worlds are meant to be woven together. And through them, we get access to every other culture and every other age. God is preparing for the gospel. So there's light in every culture, in every place, in every people, in every mythology, in every religion. There is a light of Christ preparing the the people for an encounter with Christ so that when he comes, he's not just utterly new, but he's also familiar and fulfilling the deepest desires of their heart and the most beautiful genius hidden within their cultures. The promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. So the gospel of the Lord, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for, Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the gift of the Blessed Virgin who brings him to us. And thank you that Yeah, that we have not just a father in heaven, but we have a mother on the earth, and we have a mother in the church, and we have a mother in our mothers, and that this, yeah, that the love of the father and the love of the mother, this this chokmah and this bina, um, that is so central to the, the balancing of the right column and the left column, that we can come to this place of deep knowing and perceiving the million miracles that are right in the midst of us. Brothers and sisters, thank you so much for joining me for Inscription where we, uh, where we explore identity, intimacy, and mission. Identity is our coming into agreement with who God says we are. When we do that, we experience a nearness to Him. From that nearness, He sends us out on mission. The secret to mission is intimacy. The deeper we go in intimacy, the more fruitful we'll be in mission, the more fun we'll have. Just a reminder, we'll be here every Friday with Inscription to prepare for the Sunday Uh, to go deeper on Sunday. As well, on Sunday, we have fire on the altar, an hour of prophetic soaking, a prophetic worship, spontaneously soaking in God's God's power and in God's love. Uh, Thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next week.